Welcome to the Black Sparrow Media Internet Broadcast Network. You're listening to Linux in the Ham Shack. LHS is a podcast about Linux, open source and amateur radio for everyone. Now here are your hosts, Russ, K5TUX, Cheryl, W5MOO, and Bill, NE4RD. Well, hello everybody, you've tuned in to episode number 203 of Linux in the Ham Shack. I'm Russ, K5TUX, out in frigid blue sky country is Bill, NE4RD. Brr, good evening, everyone. And Cheryl is on assignment tonight, so she won't be with us, but uh, that's all right. We will carry on, and she will be back for the next one. So tonight mm-hmm. is going to be the first of our long format segments, which means this whole episode is going to be devoted to one singular topic. And, the and top- it's my favorite topic. It's his favorite topic. So what is the topic? Distro hopping. Oh, wait, no. <laughs> <laughs> Not quite distro hopping, but uh, choosing the right distro for your ham shack. So it's something we always, always talk about is, uh, is distributions and which one's easier and everything else. So so I thought it would be uh, probably a good way to start the year with our long topic to just uh, dig down into this whole distro hopping fever that I get into quite often and uh, talk about why we end up choosing distributions that we choose yeah that's a good thing to talk about we have talked about it a little more briefly in the past but we're going to have a concerted deep dive into choosing a decent linux distribution for your ham shack but before we get into that how did you choose like your first linux distribution at all or how did you fall into it if you didn't choose it my very first Linux distribution. Yes. Um, um, my friend gave me the disk for Red Hat 1.2. <laughs> That's how I tried my first distribution, and uh, from there, uh, yeah, just uh, it, uh, yeah, just kept on evolving and evolving. Uh, when I when I started uh, working at a laboratory and I wanted to put some servers up on uh, on Linux, uh, I started kind of looking around then for a new distribution. And I mistakenly chose uh, Gen two, <laughs> <laughs> so I, I learned uh, I learned what not to do when choosing a distribution. Um, <laughs> after that, I think I did actually go to the early versions of uh, of Ubuntu. So now that you've pissed off every Gen two user in the universe, <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love Gen two. It's just uh, it has a very unique uh, <clears throat> unique uh, purpose in the in the whole. Uh, distribution universe here so have you done lfs linux from scratch no no i have not i've i've uh i think gen 2 is about the closest i've ever come to that and uh they do give you quite a few tools in gen 2 to take the first few steps painstakingly out of the process so you can actually get up and running without going through <clears throat> multiple revisions of compiling your kernel i have done lfs but i did not do it successfully um, I went through the stages, and it did give me some nice insight into how Linux works and how the GNU, you know, uh, applications work and how everything sort of nicely integrates. But you, at least in my case, could not use it 
as a full-blown distribution. So it would probably receive an LHS readiness score of a big fat zero because, uh, at least for me, I couldn't get it to work. And even if you could get it to work, you know, doing anything with it would be a colossal task. And one of the things we look at in the LHS readiness score is kind of ease of use. I mean, you want something that's not going to take up all of your time in installation and maintenance because that would be pointless. You want to actually use Linux in your ham shack. Yeah, exactly. And uh, I mean that that touches on so many parts and uh, that that'll kind of get us into the individual components that we want to talk about for uh for deriving our LHS readiness score and also how we kind of judge um how easy it is to use something. And it doesn't necessarily mean it's a it's a simplified point and click and stuff like that. It's really a combination of factors that make it easy to transition into either using the distribution for a ham radio, uh, you know, coming from another distribution, or using it for the first time as a as a you know a green user that's only used Windows or or Mac OS. And I think that it all kind of plays into the same you know the same realm. You know, even if you are somewhat savvy, you might you might choose to pick something a little bit different in some of the areas, but. In the end, I think we all look for the same same key points in in picking a distribution. I think we do kind of focus on a few central ideas, and I believe those are the ideas we're going to kind of touch on. I started out in the Linux world back in the Unix world, actually. I ran several Unix distributions before I ever ran Linux, but Debian was my first and continues to be my favorite, though, like you, I've jumped in and out of many, many different forms of Linux, and we'll find as we talk about this some more that some are better suited to Linux in the Hamshack purposes than others, but they're all certainly functional and they are built for certain purposes, some more general, some more you know specific, but uh, we're going to talk about what those factors are and how they can lend themselves to being a viable distribution in your Hamshack. And first and foremost, at least the top bullet point that you have outlined in the in the Etherpad is application availability. And this is something we touch on a lot. We love the fact that a lot of distributions have package repositories available, many of which have Linux Hamshack-specific applications readily available that are pretty much an apt-get or an RPM or a point-and-click install away. And if you have a repo that's like that, or you can add a repo like that to your distribution, that bumps your LHS readiness score up considerably. So um, do you want to talk a little bit about the different distributions you've tried and their accessibility to ham radio-specific apps? Yeah, yeah, we can talk about that. <clears throat> I mean, as we all know, we, we, we always push the ham radio pure blend packages and also pure blend OS, you know, you know, or, or I guess a spin, right? Do they call it spin or flavors? I can never remember that. <clears throat> it's but, whatever uh, you want to call it. It's a, yeah, it's yeah. a version, so, a variant. Well, yeah, whatever, whatever Debian calls it. But anyway, they have the uh, packages. They're the meta packages, and uh, it makes it real easy on Debian-based systems to install a lot of ham radio software. So I mean, we always have to kind of say that, you know. It's sort of the the gold standard <laughs> of being able to find a bunch of stuff real easy. Now, mind you, inside the repo, it's not always 
up to date. That's why we uh, talk about adding PPAs or downloading DEBs directly. And uh, you could do that, you know, in any Ubuntu or Debian-based system. Um, the other systems we tried uh, that have uh, at least a uh, easy-to-add repository of software, <clears throat> and I'm uh, sorry about my voice, I'm still coming over my cold, <laughs> um, is uh, um, Suzy, right? We uh, tried Tumbleweed, and we tried, uh, what was the regular version? Um, which I couldn't find in my notes. I didn't even have the scores here. But I remember doing uh, uh, OpenSUSE and, and Tumbleweed, which is the rolling release of uh, OpenSUSE. And they had a, uh, a whole repository of, uh, of, of amateur radio software that you could add to your uh, um, um, what's, the, what's the package manager on that called? Why? Uh, why Yast. Uh, Yast. That's what it is. Why ASE? Anything, by the way, in the Linux world or in the GNU world, Anything that starts with YA generally means yet another. So, yet another. <laughs> so. Exactly. So, yeah, go ahead. No, no, no. That was all I had to say about that. Oh, okay. <laughs> so, like, that one was real uh, real nice because they had a curated list of packages, and, and including uh, when we were going over that, that particular uh, uh, distribution, uh, we got contacted by the uh, one of the community leaders, and uh, asking about like you know what packages should he have in there and how can he better organize that stuff. So that was a really interesting experience uh, to deal directly with them. Um, another one uh, we used Fedora twenty five. I think we did a test with that the last time and uh, found it was quite easy to uh, at least get RPMs. I, I can't remember. I don't think uh, some of them were in the the actual <clears throat> whatever they call their little app store repo. Um, 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 <laughs> yeah, um, whatever. Um, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, that, that, that thing. Yeah, uh, where you get the, where you get all the software. So right. uh, yeah, and then uh, the other one was a uh, uh, Manjaro, right? Uh, you have the entire AUR package system, or not package system, a repository of uh, you know um, user software, and you can add just about anything you can find, including uh, Git based repo, you know, Git based uh, sources into your system for like you know WSJTX, CQR log, and stuff like that. Um, not many of them have a full list that, like, you can just do, you know, app get install ham radio all, you know, right. or ham radio dash star. So, I mean, not, not, not them are that easy except for the Debian ones, but um, they come really close. They come really close. So, I think there's very few distributions we had problems finding software for. One of those being Gen 2, another being Solus. Um, I think there were some struggles finding stuff for uh, the BSD based systems. As you know, we have uh, that BSD in the Ham Shack, which I've only heard one episode for, so I'm kind of wondering what's going on there. <laughs> well, we have some feedback to that effect later on in the show. Oh, awesome. Maybe that will prompt uh, a certain podcaster to uh, <laughs> get his ass in gear, shall we say? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I saw he was in the chat room earlier, too. Oh, cool. Yeah. No, I missed I him, a- but he was there. Cool. So yeah. So I mean, there's lots of lots of different distributions that have access to the software. Uh, some make it easier than others. And uh, like I put here in our show notes as well, you know, there's other things that you want on there besides just ham radio software, and you want that to be available as well. Like you know, some people use their Linux box to do, you know, cards and stuff like that. You know, for doing QSL cards, and maybe they want to do a custom print or something like that. So maybe they want some kind of office productivity suite and stuff like that. Or maybe they're recording audio or, or you know, you know um, like we're doing, podcasting and stuff like that. Maybe they want some podcasting or recording or 
uh, chatting tools and stuff like that, like Mumble, like we're using, or an IRC client and stuff like that, which uh, almost all the uh, distributions have easy access to that stuff. But again, you know, we're looking for a complete package. We want the ham radio stuff and we want those productivity applications to be at least readily available and easy for you to find. Um, especially when we talk about the LHS podcast score, uh, you know, when we're trying to say that this is, you know, kind of something I would steer to, you know, when we give it a high rating and stuff like that, it makes it a little bit easier to find those applications so you can get them on your system. Absolutely. And a decent, <clears throat> well-constructed and fully stocked package repository definitely lends to a high score because if you can have access to all of those applications in a point-and-click way rather than having to go out and download and build source or whatever, then that makes it much more friendly to the average user. And I think a lot of amateur radio operators can be more on the lower end of the spectrum as far as computer users. They're not necessarily systems administrators or network administrators or, you know, uh, Windows A-plus certified or anything like that. Now, they certainly can be, and many of them are, but for most folks, if you're an amateur radio operator, you might even be new to the hobby, and the idea is to be able to jump in and use all those digital modes and all that you know great stuff and have access to it without having to go through a lot of hassle to get there. And so having those applications readily available is great. Even for a person like me who could download and build all these applications if I wanted to, I don't want to waste all my time doing that. I want the stuff ready to go. I want to, you know, I want to app install my WSJTX and my FL Digi and run away with it and, and be done with it because I want to enjoy the amateur radio hobby, not screw around on my computer, which is partly a function of the fact that that's what I do for my day job. But also, <laughs> you don't want to have to deal with two problems uh, just to get one thing going. Yeah, yeah. I like I like the keep it simple, stupid, pro, you know, uh process you know i don't want to i don't want to have to sit there and think too much about installing applications and 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 you know yeah i could go through and do my dot configure and then you know set all your uh you know uh <laughs> optimizing flags and everything else and oh i gotta find this library and dev and and bring that down and compile that or have the source available so i compile those compile this header file in you know, that, that's all great, and it's great if you want to do that. And by all means, you know, install Gen 2 and go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> but you don't have to do that, and that's, you know, we're, we're really trying to get that least common denominator. We want, you know, we want the ease and, and accessibility to be uh, paramount in every single area that we're talking about. And I think we've killed application availability for sure. <laughs> I think we probably have, and I would like to point out, I think, that we might be the curmudgeons of the Linux distro set when we keep pointing to Gen 2. I think we're supposed to be talking about Arch. Oh, yeah, Arch. Arch is evil, except for Manjaro, right? Right, exactly. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> but I've had that one bite me, too, but that's okay. Um, so, yeah, let's move on to hardware support. You know, uh, being able to pop in a DVD or a thumb drive with this shiny new distribution that you just chose because, hey, we told you to check it out um you really want a distribution that uh, at least when a, the installer comes up all your hardware is supported you know that means every little wi-fi card that you could possibly have in your system your processor your memory serial devices audio devices your mouse works when it boots up you know these are all very important parts 
You know, we're we're way beyond the days of of text installers where none of the hardware is really pulled up when you actually uh, launch the disc. We have uh, live distributions now where you can fully test every piece of hardware you have before you even install it, which is just great. I, 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 I've, that's made things so much easier picking a distribution, I think, is being able to basically run it live on your system and say, yeah, this works great. Everything, uh, everything works. I don't see any artifacts on my screen. I don't see, you know, I get sound. I got, uh, you know, the microphone works, the camera works. Um, yeah, I mean, Hardware support is king, and I think that's where a lot of these distributions that kind of don't have the live thing working for them kind of shear off the 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 lower the lower end users or the less sophisticated users that that really don't want to even understand how that works. You know, they they want to just put it in a disk and press install, and everything just works. So, and I think we're I think we're beyond the days of things not working on boot. <laughs> well, we've come a long way in hardware support. I do believe we have, and that that is a nice thing to touch on because it is strictly a function of the Linux kernel. It has nothing to do with the GNU part of the GNU Linux you know, world sphere. This is all the drivers that are built into Linux. There's a couple of things I was thinking about when you were talking about that. The first is <clears throat> one of the issues that comes up with driver support is whether a driver is free, as in Libre, or not free. And that can be problematic for some distributions because some distributions like Debian, for example, and Trisquel, like to be free-friendly, Libre-friendly. So some device drivers will not be included by default in those distributions. And you may find yourself in sort of a pickle trying to get a machine running on on those because the only drivers that are available on those particular machines <clears throat> are non-free uh commercial or closed source or what what have you um debian is kind of nice about that because if you google around for debian with non-free firmware and non-free drivers there are ways to circumvent that issue specifically to distributions that are more Libre-friendly than other ones, like Ubuntu, which don't care. They'll package anything as long as it makes a device work. Um, <clears throat> and then there's a secondary issue, which is uh, chip architecture. Now, some distributions are very chip architecture agnostic. Debian is one of those. You can run Debian on an S390 or a MIPS or an ARM or an i386 or an IA64 or whatever. Other distributions, i.e. Ubuntu and some and some other similar ones, are very Intel, you know, i386, AMD, 64-centric. And they yeah. uh, are slow to adopt, if they adopt at all, uh, the ability to run on processor architectures other than those. So <clears throat> while some distributions are very friendly on both fronts, some are friendly on one or the other or none, and some are friendly on all. And so that is another thing that lends itself towards our readiness score. You know, how wide a variety of platforms can a distribution run on? And is it easy to get support for drivers that are not necessarily GPL, BSD, or otherwise open source friendly, you know, when you're trying to run something where the only available drivers are commercial or closed source? So, you we try and weigh all of those factors in 
And I think from an ease of use perspective, we probably tend towards distributions like Ubuntu or Mint or something like that, where all of the drivers are available without having to go through extra hoops. But it is something to keep in mind. Yeah, yeah, I agree, hundred <laughs> percent. And uh, I don't think I can really add anything to that. <laughs> that was a really good coverage of everything. And yeah, I mean, yeah, the, the the hardware support is the kernel, and what they put in the kernel drives everything else. Now, people have that are doing uh, Raspberry Pis. You know, they're using things like Raspbian, which are basically Debian for Raspberry Pis. So. Yeah, there's 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 distributions for just about everything and every kind of hardware combination and stuff like that. But the 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 thing you want is something that's going to work at least minimally out, out of the box to get all of your hardware working and it just makes it easier. So you don't have to futz around. I, you know, I still think there's a few Wi-Fi cards out there in the wild that are somewhat problematic which do uh do limit some people's ability to get off the ground rolling uh with a good clean install. But um, I think that's pretty much few and far between these days. Well, it's affecting me and the Atheros 3000 Bluetooth chipset, but that's a story for another time. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and now that we talked about hardware, let's talk about the uh, the installer or the ease of installation. And uh, this is, you know, this could also be a, the number one item is, you know, quick and easy access to the media. So, you know, getting that ISO file and being able to put it on a thumb drive or put it on a disc if your machine still has a, uh, a DVD drive or a CD-ROM. <laughs> a lot of computers don't have those anymore, so they're reliant on having that you know, ability to put it on a thumb drive. So being able to access and quickly get, uh, you don't want to go to a website for a, for a distribution that's pretty obscure and click the ISO and have a 20-hour download that generally will turn most people off. Uh, if they have a slow availability or is not through a CDN or something like that, um, the installer, you know, working for your system, it, it, you know, does it work with UEFI boot? Does it is it is it a legacy only type setup where if you have some UEFI, you know, boot already on that particular drive, is it going to play nice with that? Um, hardware support for your controller card. Let's say you have a fancy RAID controller in there. You know, that's back to hardware support, but still, it's the installer's got to work with that right out of the box. And uh, is the process simple with the availability to run advanced options like doing LVM, you know, Linux vol- volume management for doing fancy stuff like you do with your disk drives? That's right. And I will be having a video tutorial upcoming about using LVM on your machine, which is something that might interest folks. And actually, while you were talking about ease of installation, I thought of something else we could do a video tutorial on, and that would be Pixie booting. Because a lot of cases, there are machines out there that maybe have a USB port so you can plug in a thumb drive. But for truly thin clients, you wouldn't even have that. So the only way you could boot or do an install would be through a network connection. And Pixie booting is definitely a viable way of getting a distribution installed on your computer, but a lot of people probably wouldn't know how or might feel frustrated trying to get something like that working. Uh, so maybe we can talk about that at some point in the future. But in general, uh, ease of installation definitely will rate high on the LHS readiness score. Something you can just, you know, use Pendrive Linux uh, or any of the other utilities to copy it, copy the files onto a thumb drive. You just plug it in, boot from it, and away you go particularly if it has a nicely designed graphical user interface installer. That's always nice. I still sort of lean towards the 
NCURSES or text-based installers just because they're faster and they are not reliant on any specific functions of your video card and stuff like that. Um, but if it's a if it's a nice, easy, well thought out point and click, this is how you do things. You know, select your time zone, select your username, what packages do you want? Click go, install the Grub bootloader, and you're done. Uh, that's always a plus when it comes to installing something either in your ham shack or even just on your home PC. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, and 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 in our case, I know a lot of times I test these systems on on uh, virtual machines on VirtualBox. So I have had a few bomb in those. I don't like being inside of a virtual machine. So they do lose points for that <laughs> because it becomes frustrating for me to test it. Um, and, uh, you know, you can set up a, a virtual box to be be like almost any other machine. So there's really no excuse these days to have problems with your installer and stuff like that running in them. But, um, yeah, so the installer has to run well. Uh, you know, it's great if uh, if it's a live boot, you tested the system out, the installer's right there, you just double-click the installer and move on from there. Um, the end curses I've used on a server before, uh, that's the way it used to always be, right? You used to always just have an end curses or a text-based, uh, text-based installer. And, th- and those used to work fine, too. You know, <laughs> it's not really that big a deal. You know, now with the your time zone, you have the whole map. You can clicky the map instead of actually having to, you know, scroll through the list and highlight the, uh, you know, your time zone and stuff like that. Uh, it, it doesn't really matter. It doesn't really take away or anything else from the from the ability to use the system. Um, it's just easier if you're already in the GUI to, to go ahead and be able to click that installer from there and run fine, reboot, and then you're right into your system. Yeah, I agree. I mean, a well thought out and sequentially functional and, you know, easy to understand installer is probably the number one thing you could ask out of a distribution. And some of them do them much better than others. But most of the modern distributions that I've used lately, even some esoteric ones, everything, you know, from Debian to Ubuntu to Suze to Deepin. You know, especially Deepin, actually, some people really put a lot of thought into the installers and really try and get the number of steps that you have to do to get a working system set up yeah. and running uh, I just to put a minimum. De- I just put Deepin on the system here. I'm actually on a different box right now because I'm working on my laptop. <clears throat> and, uh, yeah, I think it was three steps, literally like three three windows I went through and and it was off to the races, did its install and rebooted. And, uh yeah, that that's that's pretty slick. I <laughs> I do have to say they uh, they have put a lot of thought into the usability of that. I would like to add though that a really good installer will give you the option to do a three click install or the option to do a forty three click install if you so choose. I think that's important because some people like things a little more customized and. Well, it's nice to have a, this is how we get the system up and running as fast as humanly possible, but also give the power user a little idea of, you know, how custom they can make their system at the beginning as well is important. Yeah, I did find uh, some limitations on uh, doing drive stuff, specifically in deep end. But fortunately, I wasn't I wasn't doing much. So, <laughs> <laughs> so on this particular one, I was just basically uh, taking over. Uh, I think I actually had Solus on this particular hard drive before, so I was just uh, basically taking over that that partition and, and installing on here. So, yeah. So installation simple and advanced. You want you kind of want the the best of both worlds. You want to be able to do those customizations if you want to get into them. 
Otherwise, you want them out of your way. You know, just I don't even want to see them. Yeah, you can show me an advanced button, but I don't want to have to click through it. <laughs> you know, to right. get my installation done. Right. You know, that's for those geeks that like you know doing all kinds of fancy stuff, and you know, <laughs> absolutely. You want a nice big OK button underneath which is a small advanced button. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And you want your 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 text and your buttons to like be a different color than the background. I remember installing one of those this uh, this uh, this past year. I can't remember if it. I think it was Zorin. I think it was either Zorin OS or not Bodhi. I'm th- I think it was you gave Zorin a zero. Come on, we don't even need to talk about Zorin. Yeah, yeah, I, I, th- I think it was that. It was either <laughs> that or one of the others. Maybe it was Bodhi too. I can't remember. Anyways, it was a Debian-based system, and they had the installer. The colors were all raw, <laughs> like you couldn't read the text, so you couldn't see the buttons because the buttons are now like a font, you know, like a, whatever the Google Super Font thing is or whatever, you know. Um, so you couldn't see the stupid buttons. I knew where they were, so I could click through it. But I thought that's just horrible. You can't have that as part of your your installer. You're taking all the usability away from it. So right. yeah, be mindful of that. And uh, that's what we look for. We look for clean installation um, installers. Yeah, absolutely. So speaking of clean and functional, let's move into something that's a bit more subjective, and that's the graphical user environment that's included with distributions. So modern yeah, it just dist- has to be pretty, right? That's well, it, just pretty. I am definitely a fan of the eye candy. <laughs> but okay, it's pretty. Let's move on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, unfortunately, there's more to it than just pretty. Now, I uh... love, I love pretty. I'll give you that. But pretty generally means heavy weight because there's a lot of rendering that needs to be done to make something pretty. So it's almost inversely proportional to functional. But the way computers process data anymore, especially if you've got a decent GPU in your machine, pretty can be done very efficiently. So it's not as big a problem as it used to be. But there are lots of graphical user environments that are very pretty and very slow, and there are some. Actually, if you get out of the desktop environment world and get into the window manager world that are not very pretty but are super super fast and for a lot of folks when they're just doing ham radio applications all of the applications will run as long as you have the necessary toolkits like Qt or gtk or whatever like you know whatever actually runs the application that you're running but you don't have to have a super fancy, super heavyweight desktop environment to get those applications to run. So I, I kind of believe this section is very user-specific and very subjective. Um, I tend towards the super heavyweight eye candy just because I like that thing. I like my computer to look pretty. And, and when you show people and stuff, you can, you know, back in the day when people were uh, spinning the cube and all that kind of stuff. Just, <laughs> Uh, I always so we all had that. Enlightenment, right? That was the pretty one back then. Yeah, Enlightenment was a great one. Uh, Compiz, of course, was a great addition to any desktop environment because you do all this cool 3D rendering stuff. Um, and a lot of that and is now built windows. in. <laughs> and now we're, we're sort of experiencing a battle of X-Window managers because X11 is still out there on most distributions, but they're trying to slip Wayland in under the under the hood, and that's actually caused problems for me in the past. So yeah. you got to watch out for your X window rendering environments now. Um, I don't know what. I, probably we need to take some sort of a dive into Wayland and the state of Wayland. Maybe we need to interview someone in the project and see how it's going. Uh, yeah. But that that's sort of a, a little bit deeper down than we really want to go here. We're just talking about how pretty is your desktop, and right. uh, 
you know, you said prettier is better, and I think in a lot of cases that's probably true, but there's usually a performance hit associated with that. Yeah, you know, the full screen. A few things, uh, like, let's, okay, let's pick on Gnome 3. <laughs> My <laughs> like favorite full, so far, so go ahead and pick on it. The full screen menu is is bad. It's, it's reminiscent of Windows, well, it's just 10 super menu, or actually, what, Windows 8 when it came out. <laughs> The, the stupid full screen menus and stuff like that. Now, yeah, you can have it minimized down so it's a uh, it's not the whole screen and it's not obnoxious. Um, but yeah, like that sometimes can take a lot out of a system to render that whole thing. And like if you have a low end graphics card and stuff like that, you probably don't want something that's going to uh, you know take over that. And yeah, wobbly windows, love those. <laughs> um, you know. Uh, I like I like simple, clean lines, easy to use. I love Budgie. Uh, that's on one of my systems. I do like uh, I, this is GNOME three on deep end that they're running, and I I do have the start menu minimized down so it's just a a, a little pane like a little modal uh, box that appears uh, above the uh, I guess the uh, application launcher button on the dock. Um, docs are really cool. You know, they keep things clean, easy to find your stuff, easy to pin your stuff to a dock. Um, I'm not sure what the, this is probably just a deep end dock or whatever they call theirs, but you have things, uh, like, uh, elementary OS has a dock. That's really nice. Um, uh, plank is really nice. I believe I use that on uh, budgie. Um, and several other, uh, several other docs. I believe you can do the same thing on Ubuntu, uh, just the basic installation there. They have their little dock on the side that you can use your Ubuntu tweaks and move around, make bigger, smaller, and everything else. Um, what else do we have here for the GUI? When you install an application, it actually makes an icon in the menu so you can actually find it. You know, Not everybody wants to launch their CQR log from command line and watch the uh, errors pile up on the screen and stuff like that. They want all that stuff hidden away like it should be. Uh, you're not debugging the application. You're just running the application. Um, you know, does the GUI support all your, uh, all your applications that need to run? Does it have all the libraries? That's not really specific to the GUI, although, <clears throat> you know, sometimes, uh, GTK apps looked at, at least they used to look really bad in, uh, in, uh, KDE. It'd get like some weird, funky font sizing and everything else. Um, yeah, so you kind of want things. I mean, we've gotten away from a lot of that nowadays. I think almost all of the uh, all of the systems sort of render the other uh, windowing libraries and the support libraries like GTK and you know F- FLTK and um, uh, whatever uh, Qt and stuff like that or Qt. Um, you know, they they render those much better nowadays. Where it used to be, like if you decided to use. Uh, KDE, your GTK apps would look like crap, and if you use GTK, you'd have your KDE apps would look like crap. <laughs> you know, <laughs> it used to be really bad, not so much anymore. However, I still notice uh, some slight font issues, like when you have, you know, an older GTK app, like a GTK two app and stuff like that. Sometimes those things just don't quite look right, and I'm not sure where that comes from. I don't notice that in Budgie or Solus. But like here in Deep End, I noticed that uh, you know uh, um, HexChat, which I believe is GTK two, the 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 font rendering on the menu and the 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 bars look a little blurry. You know, it's not quite proper rendering. So you're going to have stuff like that. And although you know you may not even notice it, it may not even be a bother to you. 
stuff like that I notice and it bothers me. <laughs> so you might want um, to go into your computer settings because most of the modern IDEs or not IDEs uh, desktop environments have a font section and in there they talk about settings for rendering. And in a lot of cases, you need to set subpixel smoothing in your rendering for fonts because otherwise they'll look uh, grainy or jagged. Um, okay, because I'm running deep in. It doesn't have that. <laughs> it, it may do it by default, or it may not have any configuration options for that. But yeah. I, I, most of the ones that I've used, if you go into the display libraries, you can click on the fonts tab. And it gives you the option for doing like RGB or subpixel smoothing or something like that. And for LEDs, yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah, for LED monitors, subpixel smoothing is what you want. That does the best uh, smoothing of your display that you can do, at least as far as font rendering. So, yeah, yeah. There's just some there's some inconsistencies. Let's say that. I mean, DeepN is still heavily in development. Yeah, they're under the fifteenth version and stuff like that. But uh, yeah, there's some there's some things that they're not quite uh, not quite doing right, but this isn't a review specifically on DeepN. Um, I was just kind of pointing out that you can notice some of these things in more detail as you try your applications on the GUI that you chose. Um, and there's plenty out there, even for really lightweight systems. Let's say you have like the you know really old video card, so you're not going to do fancy windowing and shading and drop shadows and transparencies and stuff like that. You know they have very you know simple windowing systems uh, that have a lot of power, like X- XFCE comes to mind. Um, uh, what's another Mate comes to mind? Uh, what's another lightweight one? Uh, LXDE. LXDE, yeah, that's what my son's running on his little if you want to go server down here. Like super lightweight, you could do like XWM or uh, Awesome <laughs> or uh, Rat Poison. Yeah, that's that's that one that's like all just like shell windows or something. Like that, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yep. You can get as lightweight as you want. So yeah, <laughs> to, yeah, to so. as simple as having an X Windows server running in the background, and you just run all of your applications from the command line into it and put push the output through the x server i mean that's as that's as lightweight as it gets i guess (laughs) (laughs) so yeah so yeah so i mean that's something that you want to take into mind and and we do kind of look for that eye candy when we're doing the lhs score because you know you got to stare at the screen quite a bit (laughs) so the the nicer your applications look on there like you know wsjtx cqr log um fl digi you know, the, the, the easier you're going to have messing, you know, using it. You know, if the fonts are all wonky when you load it up the first time, you're probably not going to sit there and futz around with it too much before you say, ah, screw this. You know, it's it's, it's just garbage. Because um, a lot of people won't get into the fact that you can, yeah, you can you can change per application settings of fonts and everything else um, to make it look nicer. So <laughs> the nicer it looks out of the box, it's going to be easier for you to use. Absolutely, and I will say, though, that some of the rendering on those is res- uh, based entirely on the toolkit that they're rendered in, so sometimes your desktop environment can't do anything but just kind of render it the way it's rendered, so... Yeah, yeah. And I don't want to pick on uh, Ted, W-A-Z-O-E-I-R, but he uses a uh, specific toolkit, so all of his applications look the same no matter what desktop environment you're using. Cool. And He's the one that does uh, the prop propagation one right <clears throat> he does anything that's called tw something like twpsk twcw oh, TW. yeah 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 those well that's very much 
It's like uh, FL Digi, right? It's the uh, FLTK tool. Right. Oh, yeah. That's redundant. But <laughs> <laughs> exactly. The Fastlight Toolkit is, is one of those <laughs> rendering environments. So let me yeah. tie these last two things together real quick. Uh, the ease of installation versus the GUI, or not versus the GUI, but including the GUI. A lot of modern distributions actually allow you to install multiple, not multiple necessarily, but at least choose between your desktop environment. So if you install Mint, for example, or Ubuntu or Debian in their modern variants, you're not beholden to you know, the Mate environment or Cinnamon or XFCE or LXDE or GNOME 3 or any of those. It actually gives you the option of installing any or, in fact, sometimes all of those desktop environments. So you can choose between them. <clears throat> and once you have your desktop manager installed, like GDM3 or, you know, whichever, like Light DDM or whichever one you're using, <clears throat> you can then say, well, for this session, I want to log into uh, LXDE, and for this next session, I want to and log into Mate or whatever. So you can have all of the range of desktop environments installed on your machine, not just one. Yeah, so you can switch at any time. So you don't always have to get set up with whatever came with it, unless unless that particular distribution is specific to that. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, you can always, always switch. So one of the last bullets we've got on here is talking about security and update performance. Uh, what were your thoughts on security and updates as far as they re, you know, reflect on what distributions you should choose or maybe our LHS readiness score? Well, yeah. So we have, uh, even though I kind of put the bullets backwards here, I mean, you really have two different, uh, two different kinds of releases that we look at. We look at LTSs. So these are your long-term support releases. These are like your Ubuntu 16.04s. And you also have rolling releases. And uh, sometimes there's there's ones that sort of sit in between a, an LTS and a rolling release. So they, they kind of keep updated. Um, so my thing is, is that you want your distribution to be on top of security updates. Minimally. <laughs> minimally, minimally, minimally. <laughs> you do not want to be running an old distribution that is no longer receiving support or updates in a timely manner. You know, you still might be on an LTS distribution that may be out of service time. You know, it's gone past its four years or whatever the actual time frame is. Uh, and you just kind of, re- you know, held, held up upgrading and stuff like that. Um, you know, things like uh, the current current issues rolling around the system specter meltdown and stuff like that you know there are fixes out there for it uh, whether i mean the fixes are up there in air quotes right um you know it's important that you get those security updates we went through a lot this past year we had what open ssl had to go through several several um, you know versions and patches and stuff like that um you know security updates frequency of those is important and, and making sure that your distribution is actually a maintained one <laughs> for that. And the second part of that is the updates on your application software. You know, you don't want to be stuck into, you know, just only the, the, the repo version, you know, although like some, some installations, let's say um, like a, uh, like the, my Ubuntu budgie system, you know, you can put the PPA on there. You can now have updates directly from the author. That's great. But I have DeepN, which does not allow PPAs to even operate on here. Um, you cannot put a PPA and have it run <laughs> from DeepN, which I found out. Um, 
So you're 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 kind of stuck in the repos version of the software, or you can still override it with a deb download. So you know you still want to be able to get those updates. Maybe you know the easier the better. Obviously, the easier it is to get an update, much like the easier it is to get the software to start with, is always going to give you a better score because it just makes it simpler for you to manage getting those releases. Uh, if you're required to go out and download a specific update and then apply that update yourself, that becomes less, you know, convenient. And you might not be, you know, ambitious enough to actually patch your own system. And so you really want a system that kind of has at least security updates in an automated manner. Would you agree with that or not? I certainly agree to a certain point, although I would like to point out that you also don't necessarily want to run the most bleeding edge uh, distribution that probably is going to have those patches and everything super fast because if you're running Debian SID, for example, you can get Delta updates on packages like within hours. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> so unless you like running an app just upgrade like every 30 minutes, you know, there's a, there's a trade off, I think, between, yes. um, something that keeps you updated and secure and, you know, relatively safe and relatively current versus something that is so bleeding edge that it just becomes a nightmare to maintain. Right. Now, if you're into a rolling release and, and I know we've talked about this past, but a rolling release is basically like the SID. It's the uh, unstable branch of, of Debian or unstable branch of, of Ubuntu or, or any one of these distributions. They have kind of sort of this bleeding edge branch that uh, is sort of like you're a guinea pig for everything that goes out there. And uh, you may be on the active development <laughs> channel as well, which you'll get those updates every time someone does a commit. It's much like adding a, a Git repository as your AUR package in Arch. You know, every time someone corrects spelling on the readme.md file in the uh, Git repo, you're going to have to recompile or re-download that that, that particular uh, that particular package, and that can become very annoying. <laughs> but uh, security security updates are, are really important because they're the core of the system, and that th- those can get you uh, into an exploited situation where your browser may be out of compliance uh, with a particular exploit or your system might actually have a, an exploit issue, much like the, uh, you know, the Spectre and the Meltdown. Yeah, absolutely. So you want to have something that keeps you relatively updated, and you want to make sure that you're actually either setting your system to update those functions automatically, like you mentioned, or you have a regular schedule for yourself to do the updates. And even if you're not doing that, you want to make sure that when you hear of some of these major vulnerabilities like Spectre or Meltdown, that you do those updates pretty much immediately because you want to make sure that you're keeping your system as secure as possible. Any system that touches the Internet needs to be kept as secure as possible, whether that involves you know host-based firewalling, keeping your packages up to date or whatever. You, you need to be doing that. And a lot of the newer systems will allow you to keep your you know, antivirus definitions if you're using antivirus or your package definitions if you're using a package manager that keeps updates consistent, you know, those will happen automatically. And in a lot of cases, it'll happen during your downtime, like while you're asleep or whatever, and many of them are configurable. So it's just a good idea to have access to good security channels and to make sure you're doing your best to keep your system updated. And a lot of modern Linux distributions automate that process for you. 
and that of course gives them a good high ranking on the LHS readiness score because uh, anything they can do to keep those systems secure protects your system and also protects other systems which could be affected by your computer becoming infected by a vulnerability or joining a botnet or any of the other things that you know uh, tears the internet apart yeah yeah and that was the cool part about uh about Solus, the way they had their their particular package management updates, they actually had the ability, like the security updates, can run completely independent of all the applications. So when you rent your updater, you could just just do the security updates. Let's say you don't want it to do anything to any of the applications because you want them to all be at a certain revision level um, for for various reasons, um, and you don't want any of the applications to get updated in the update. Um, they have that kind of peeled away. So like security and system are isolated from the regular updates. So you can set that up. And, and that was one of the cool features on that particular system. And I'm not sure if, uh, if Ubuntu does that at all. I think you just get updates. Once in a while, I think it'll hold back any uh, like kernel changes if you have a certain setting applied. But I don't think it isolates the applications from those security updates. Generally speaking, I don't think the package manager is quite robust enough to look at application layer dependency. Yeah, I think that's something that that the the Solus team with Ike there they really focused on on that as as a true aspect of maintaining a stable system is to not not allow it to you know change the the application state without you specifically telling it to yes I really want you to update this application to this version. <coughs> Excuse me. In the case of Debian and other distributions, you can specifically tell the package manager how bleeding edge you want to be with your package management, and you know, yeah, you can pin a dev, right? You can pin a release, right? Absolutely, you can you can be you can make yourself more conservative even in a rolling distribution if you if you so choose. But there's a considerable amount of like a learning curve and a configuration that that goes along with that. Yeah, so more advanced features and stuff like that. So, yeah, as long as you're getting a system that has security updates and software updates and you can update your amateur radio software, I think uh, you know, it'll definitely score well with us and it'll make it easier for you to maintain a system that's healthy and stable and hopefully free from, uh, free from exploits. Yeah, absolutely. And based on all this information we've talked about in this episode, it would be great for you to send us some feedback about what distributions you've used uh, maybe in the past and what distributions you use now and maybe how you arrived at the decision to choose one of those distributions over another or maybe you distro hop and just use sort of whatever is out there. But whatever feedback you want to send us, uh, that would be great. We'd love to hear about how our listeners use Linux and what distributions they're fond of and and the hows and the whys of the things they, they chose because it's a very subjective world out there in, in the distribution land. And, uh, you know, I have my favorites, Bill has his favorites, and we all try things out from time to time, but it, it would be nice to hear how everybody makes those de- decisions and uh, other people would probably be interested in as, as well. So with that, we're going to look at, I think, some of the ones that we've looked at before specifically and uh, just kind of review what kind of readiness we gave them in the past uh, before we move on to our feedback for this time. Yeah, yeah, we kind of met, were mentioning them here and the here and there in the in the discussion, but uh, we did you know our, we have our five point scale score, 
And uh, I didn't I didn't order these in any particular order because I was just pasting them in there as I was finding them. And I did, like I say, miss a couple because I know we did Open Susie and Open Susie Tumbleweed. <laughs> and I couldn't find those for some reason. Might have been in some of those lost episode notes that, uh, <laughs> that we can't <laughs> seem to find. <laughs> but um, let's just mention the ones that, that were over four or four and over. So we have all of them in the show notes. You can see that. Um, so these are some of the ones that did probably the best. We had elementary OS running the development branch. So this was a bleeding edge LTS, not LTS, bleeding edge rolling release running right on the dev, dev tree. Uh, kind of dangerous to run it there, but because it ran so nicely, it, it really scored well. We had a Ubuntu uh, 1610 came out and, uh, 4.3 did a really good job. I think uh, I was happy with it. I tried it. I think you had some problems with it doing LVM, if I remember correctly, on one of your boxes. That may be correct, but honestly, I'd have to go back to the episode to find out for sure. I haven't. Yeah, used, yeah. I'm not I remember a, correctly. Not a super Ubuntu <laughs> fan over here, so I'm not really <laughs> willing to revisit it. But we'll go with your rating for it. Yeah. So yeah, I'm pretty sure I reviewed that one because I am running. Well, it's not four. Well, yeah, it's fourteen ten or sixteen ten on this one. The uh, to my left right now still um we also had uh fedora 25 which ranked yeah. real high because the 4.6 yeah the later versions of fedora actually do have a lot of good access to the ham radio repos um that they build into the fedora slash red hat slash CentOS slash you know whatever scientific linux da, 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 da. Um, so there's easy accessibility to ham radio packages and Fedora, especially in the later versions is really well, uh, put together well. So yeah, rates really high. Yeah. We have people that constantly mention Fedora to us and I'm like, well, we've, we've ran it. <laughs> it scored really well. I just don't run it here. Uh, uh, I might change my mind. Who knows? Well, I, this is a new year. I can do anything. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, we had another high scoring, um, uh, I believe this is another Debian, uh, based system, Rebellion. Uh, I had a really nice, clean, fast UI. Um, just overall, it felt really good. It, uh, I, I believe it was running, uh, God, was that, I don't think it was running on the LTS. I think they kept up with like the, uh, the, like the dot 10 version. So basically the somewhere between old LTS and the current test version or, you know, the stable version that's running. Um, so that scored a 14, a 4.5. And then we had our highest score of last year at 4.8. And this is Deep, Deep in. In. Yes. An, another Debian-based system. Um, and it's, it's, it's pretty tight. This one, uh, a lot of people had some questions on it because it is uh, based out of China. Um, however, uh, the more I look at it, the more I do like it. <laughs> I believe you, you liked it a lot, too. I you, did. You, if from from an eye candy perspective and a usability perspective, it's excellent. You just have to worry about where are all those Trojans in this Chinese distro. <laughs> yeah, it can't be any worse than all the NSA ones and in all the U.S. versions. So. Well, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, yeah, and uh, you know, I am running deep in right now, at least uh, at least for right now on this one system here. Uh, it's a completely uh, you know Intel spec box. It's nothing special, and it, it runs great. It re- it really does. Um, it has a, has that crossover Linux in it already. Um, among other stuff, this one also, the newest version I just installed has all the Android stuff in it. So like I have angry birds on here and. <laughs> oh, very nice. Was yeah, it used so, 
like Andy or something? I think it does, yeah, because like I get the little uh, little Android icon and stuff when the app first boots up, and then it just loads up, and it runs pretty good. I'm I'm surprised uh, for for this little wimpy machine that I have running it. I have a uh, I have a little bit of a crush on Andy OS because I like to this is this is totally apropos of nothing, but I love to play Boom Beach, which is you know what Boom Beach is, right? <laughs> no. No. Anyway, it's an application that, that runs on Android or iOS, depending on what you got. But one of the things that I love about it is the graphics. And like, if you're using it on your cell phone, the graphics are so small because your screen is generally only about, what, five inches diagonal, give or take? Yeah. So when I was able to run Boom Beach on Andy OS under a Linux distribution and I could see all of that stuff blown up on my 27-inch monitor, I was like, oh, this is so cool. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, my son's really enjoying it. He has a, he has a, he has a Chromebook, an Asus Chromebook, and uh, they added that uh, functionality a while back on those boxes. So, yeah, he's been real happy playing all his uh, all his uh, Android games on his uh, Chromebook. <laughs> he's like, yeah, yeah now I, have a, I have actually have a game machine. I thought it was just going to be for uh, doing my papers at school. <laughs> <laughs> so, so yeah, uh, yeah Defense is pretty slick. Uh, the last one I think you reviewed was Gecko Linux. Yeah, Gecko Linux. And let's see, what was that? If I remember correctly, it's a SUSE-based distribution. And uh, it, it actually performed really well. It's not super slick and, you know, not like the top shelf uh, in terms of Linux distributions for LHS readiness, but it's certainly right up there. And with most SUSE-based distributions, you're kind of right right in the wheelhouse because they they do put a lot of thought into it and they do give you good access to uh, desktop environments that are both eye candy full and accessible and pretty fast and ham radio distributions you know, and applications that are available to you, plus all the other things that you might want to do on your system. So Gecko Linux definitely rated high. And it's probably worth pointing out, like, three of the lowest ones we rated. Uh, Zoran OS got a zero, and I can't remember <laughs> if that was because it just flat didn't work or... It didn't work, yeah. The yeah. installer just kept on bombing out. And, yeah, it, it, it it's a Debian-based system as well, more Ubuntu-based, I think. It just, yeah, just failed on multiple levels. Right, and then you had problems installing Debian 9 in the initial release, 9.0, but I will say that the 9.1 and later revisions um, work flawlessly. So, um, Yeah, this is when they had that problem with the ISO images. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, nothing was working right out of the box. It was kind of an embarrassing start for uh, Debian 9. Um, I, I personally wasn't looking forward to it, so it really didn't matter to me. So I was happy to give it its 1.0. And I don't think we ever circled back and redid it. So maybe we'll look at, uh, doing that this year, uh, and give it a, give it a uh, proper score. I think we probably need to do that. And then the third lowest was Gen 2. And Gen 2 is a fine distribution, but it requires a lot of effort and a lot of maintenance. And as far as getting, ham radio applications to work on it it requires a lot of work that's why it was rated so low yeah you're compiling everything and there's not really uh they do have their own little sort of package system emerge or whatever it's called these days and uh yeah it's 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 a there's not really a community of hams involved in maintaining those uh those package uh, whatever you know configuration files that make it easier to build the packages in right. the system build yeah, scripts like, usually 
Yeah, build script. Uh, you know, uh, yeah, I try to think of like AUR. That's a whole the arch system's all based on build scripts. You know, right. <laughs> you know, you know, and if people maintain the build script, it makes things a heck of a lot easier. Um, but I just don't think there's a a community. At least I couldn't find a community in Gen two that's doing specifically ham radio stuff. It's not to say you can't get it done. It, you know, it will work. Trust me, <laughs> it, it will work. All this stuff runs on anything. It's just the amount of time and energy it takes you to actually get to that point. So, and as we've already mentioned, yeah, give us your feedback. Tell us what you're using and tell us if, uh, you know, we haven't talked about uh, whatever you're using. Uh, We would like to take a look at it as well. Yeah, very much do that. And I think we've come down to the end of that. We've probably beat that dead horse right into the ground, but we have uh, some listener feedback and announcements we want to get to. And the first one is one that I saw pop up in the chat room the other day, but Bill is the one who fielded it. So you can go ahead and talk about it. That's right. We got an announcement. God. You got an announcement. Uh, Boy, I'm yeah. sure glad I threw it your way. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> we got an announcement from John, the nice guy, Spriggs, G7VRI, in the chat room that uh, he's promoting AugCamp. And it's a two-day unconference celebrating all things permissively licensed, flaw, CC, open hardware, etc., digital rights, and collaboratively built. On its ninth year in Sheffield, the U.K., uh, Sheffield, UK, on the 18th and 19th of August. So you got some time. This is a pay what you want, including free tickets from augcamp.org and primarily organized this year by Floss Advocate, Podcaster and Ham, John the Nice Guy Spriggs, G7VRI. And he also wanted us to know that he is our very first Patreon subscriber. Yay! Awesome. Yes, excellent. <laughs> so if you have so, not checked out Patreon and you're not subscribing to us via Patreon, please do that. You know, feel free to cancel your PayPal subscription and flip over to Patreon. We're going to be doing some good stuff with that. So thanks, John, for being our number one. Oh, and go check out OggCamp, especially if you can get to the UK. I would love to be able to do that. Yeah, I'm going to be in Europe a little earlier than that, so I'm not, I'm not going back. <laughs> and you're going to be in Italy. I'll be in Italy and France, yes. Well, it's not too far away. You can you can cross the channel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I'll be there in June, so. <laughs> All right. A little, so. little too far. <laughs> I, so, could, I like to stay and like, uh, you know, kind of kind of camp out and hike hike all of Europe. <laughs> yeah, that'd be kind of <laughs> cool. For two months. <laughs> all right. So my wife would like that. Yeah, I don't know. Hell, I'll go, I'll go do it. She can go home. I'll, I'll go camp with you there you go (laughs) all right we also got some feedback from daniel uh november 9 mike uniform foxtrot back in december like right after we well not right after but after we went on hiatus uh, and he said uh, i use all three os's quite frequently because uh, episode number 200 was called we love winix os i believe something something along those lines (laughs) because we talked about all three the big three i guess yep uh, he says, my desktop is still Windows and always will be due to gaming, especially flight sims. And, oh, do I love flight sims. And always uh, Quicken, TurboTax, and a plethora of music apps that I need access to that don't play well under Linux. My work machine for the last four jobs, I guess that's four F-O-U-R jobs, has been a MacBook. And then the Linux boxes, a metric ton of systems, <laughs> a metric ton, I'm glad he left out the, the thing, uh, running Gent2, both on Intel and Raspberry Pi and Raspbian, and my file server runs BSD, as does mine. It is interesting 
the flack that I get from a lot of people for not going pure Linux. But given the fact that most of what I run on a day-to-day basis is a web browser, Chrome and Putty, and most of what I do is inside Putty, heck, when I first got this Windows box up and running, the first thing I did was FTP into my Linux box, where I had temporarily set up an FTP server behind my firewall, and downloaded Putty, Chrome, and the Sigwin installer. If I need a Linux app, most of the time it's CLI-based. If not, that's what Sigwin is for. Or VNC for my main Linux box, or I could fire up the monitor it's attached to. It's always good to listen to your show, and I'll probably hit the back catalog a bit during the hiatus, but I think a lot of the reason we don't get more people into Linux is the all-or-nothing attitude that a lot of people present. I use Linux for what it is best for me at, Mutt for my mail, Finch for my IM, and a ton of different screens with what I need to work on. My wife uses it since our media server is running on a Raspberry Pi, but she doesn't have to be aware that that's what she's using. (laughs) 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 Yeah, no comment. 7-3, and good luck with the hiatus. Daniel, November 9, Mike Uniform Foxtrot. So anyway, thanks, Daniel. I think that sums up sort of how I use computers. I learn pretty much everything, or I use pretty much everything. Just go ahead and do it. No, I, I turned it down. Oh. <laughs> uh, well, except it didn't matter. Yeah, there we go. Well, it's okay. I'm going to edit it out anyway. So, <laughs> all right. So we'll no talk. No edits. Oh my gosh, no. I'll have to do a few edits on this one, obviously, but no big deal. Yeah. All right. Yeah, I use I use all three systems as well. You know, each one has its own purpose. I mean, I on my work work table over there. There's two Windows boxes out here in the garage. There's two, well, three Linux boxes, and attached to the TV in the basement is my Mac. Well, there you go. I use them all, too. I use them interchangeably, because why not? Yeah. I mean, each one has its own purpose. You know, I play uh, video games on one of my Windows boxes. So, yeah, I mean, it probably could run Linux, because I pretty much only play CSGO. But uh, um, I guess occasionally I play Paladins. I'm not sure if that one has has one for Linux or not. But, yeah. So, yeah, for the most part, yeah. Windows for gaming and work, and then Linux for... Everything ham radio and Mac for, well, that's a toy. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> that's an entirely toy based OS. Yeah, so I can have a web browser on the TV. That's basically it. That's, you know, <laughs> <All> <laughs> I think right, the last fantastic. thing it did was run RT or something. All right, <laughs> let's crap on, on Apple some more. Let's do that. <laughs> All right. Well, anyway, thanks, Daniel, for the feedback. That, that was excellent feedback. I'm sorry it took us three months to get to it, but I do appreciate your listening, and I hope you uh, run through the back catalog and, and kind of catch up again. That would be great. Uh, we also had a comment from Johnny, November 4th, Juliet Echo Kilo. Who says, this is without a doubt the best LHS episode. And he's talking, of course, about the BSD in the Ham Shack episode number one. So I'm not sure how to take that exactly. <laughs> I'm hoping what he's being hell? slightly sarcastic, <laughs> but maybe he's not. I'm not sure. Yeah. He says, finally, you folks have seen the light. I did a series on superior operating system BSD. I have really enjoyed <laughs> using TrueOS in my Ham Shack. Uh, TrueOS has set all of my expectations, especially with its superior file system, OpenZFS. The main feature I enjoy about TrueOS is upgrades are safe and simple with the advent of boot environments. I'm really looking forward to this series. Anyway, you may want to mention uh, Andrew and Chad, KK6VQK's latest article on setting up APRS on FreeBSD, which I found on the BSD Now episode 224. Wow, we're advocating BSD podcasts now. Anyway, uh, as... <laughs> did you like throw up in your mouth right there is that what i heard 
<laughs> I thought we already talk about Mac OS all the time. <laughs> <laughs> Very nice. As desktop operating systems go, I find TrueOS a pleasure using its Luminia desktop. Its simple no-nonce interface makes it very practical. When you're trying to make contacts, the last thing you want to be doing is fighting with your OS. Anyway, I can't wait for the next in the series, 73, November 4, Juliet Echo Kilo, a BSD ham. Uh, and the link to the KK6VQK blog article will, of course, be in the show notes. Not sure why, since he's basically just telling us all we do is crap and BSD is the way to go, but he, he's been with us for a long time. I'm assuming a lot of this is tongue-in-cheek, and if it's not, feel free to point that out to us. That's fine. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> all right. We also had a couple more uh, comments from the the website, and these were not from hams at least not identified as such uh the first one was from pete and that was the sound clip bsd episode was annoying <laughs> that's all he said <laughs> so um so rich kd0rg has apparently some uh, widely varying feedback on his episode it'll be interesting to see if we actually have any more of them i'd like to see some more or hear some more i guess uh so i guess we'll find out if that actually happens and then we had an additional comment from John who says, will there be more of this series? Again, talking about the BSD and the Hamshack series. The first one shows promise of being good going forward. I liked it, which I do not say often. So so all of the feedback we've had basically is about BSD and the Hamshack. So I hate you, Rich. I really do. <laughs> <laughs> just kidding. Uh, we do hope you do put out some more of those, though. I mean, it would hardly seem fair to just put out the one since it was more or less an introductory episode and, and didn't really get into the meat of the matter. So um, uh, all I can say is that is on Rich's timetable, and if he decides to put more out, then we will stick them in the feed and you will hear them. And other than that, we are done with announcements and feedback, as far as I know. Uh, we don't really have a teaser for the next episode because we haven't figured out what we're going to talk about yet. Um, but that will be next Monday. That's, uh, January 22nd when the next one will be coming out. So unless there's anything else to flesh out for this particular episode, I'm going to hit the outro button and we're going to get on out of here. And, uh, for those of you who are hanging around in the chat room and have access to mumble, I posted the link in the chat room and maybe we'll have a little after show. And for those folks who join us on Patreon or become subscribers in some other way, maybe you'll have access to that little after show. A little incentive for you to uh, help donate to the show and uh, you know keep us doing what we're doing. So, anybody else have anything to? Oh, and and Cheryl did show up here at the very end of the program. So, hi, hi. Yeah, there she is. <laughs> <laughs> and we're glad you could show up at the last minute. You told me to go and be on assignment or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> I, I did, but now you're back. So. So say say goodbye to everyone since we're on kind of out of here. Goodbye, everyone. All right. So I guess I'm going to push the outro button, but since we don't talk over the outro anymore, I'm just going to say this is Russ K5TUX. Have a great week, everyone. That's Bill over there, any 4 rd 73, everyone. And Cheryl. Hello. Or goodbye, everybody. <laughs> <Yeah>. Wow. <laughs> All right. Sorry. <laughs> and tune in next week for episode number 204. We'll see you then. Thank you for listening to this episode of Linux in the Hamshack. LHS is a community-sponsored podcast. Our website is located at lhspodcast.info. 
You can support the program by visiting the LHS Patreon page of patreon.com stroke LHS podcast or using the contribute link on the website. Get in touch via social media. The show has a presence on Google+, Facebook, Twitter, Discord and YouTube. Or you can drop an email to info at lhspodcast.info or record a voicemail at 1-909-LHS-SHOW. That's 1-909-547-7469. Visit the IRC channel, LHS Podcast, on the Freenode IRC network. Also visit the online merchandise store at shop.lhspodcast.info for fun and fashionable LHS merchandise. Become an ambassador and represent LHS at a Linux convention or ham fest. Email ambassadors at lhspodcast.info or visit the website for details. The podcast is recorded live every Monday night at 8 o'clock p.m. Central Time. Connect to the stream at stream.blacksparrowmedia.net colon 8008 stroke LHS live. Until next time, over and out. Linux in a Ham Shack and the Linux in a Ham Shack logo are released under a Creative Commons Attribute Non-Commercial No Derivatives 4.0 International License. Can't believe I did the freaking hand thing when I said that.